Well, good morning, friends. It's good to see each of you here this morning on another sunshiny day. We don't take that for granted. We've not had to cancel any of these yet due to weather, and we're thankful to God for that and his providence. And now we're going to turn our attention to his word, and we need his help to do that. If it's going to be of any use for us, we need God to come and do for us by his spirit as we look to his word what we could never do for ourselves. So let's go to him and ask him for his help now. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come as needy sinners who find no hope or sufficiency in ourselves. Our hope is in you and you alone, and our sufficiency comes from you and from you alone. We've shown up here in need as we always do, and we come to you because you are faithful as you always are. And so we pray for your help now as we look to your word that you would show us yourself within your word and that you would show us ourselves as we really are and that you would show us Christ. We pray that as we behold him, we would trust him, that we would hope in him and him alone. We pray that you would bring this about, that you would stir us on to love and to good works as we contemplate what Christ has done for us. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, this is the second of of two messages from John chapter 6. We're in the middle of a a series of meditations that we've called Encounters with Jesus. They are selected passages. These meditations are from the Gospels, and some of them are parables of Christ. Some of them are just discussions, dialogues, interchanges. Some of them are sections of teaching where Christ is teaching his audience. Today is the second part of a meditation on Jesus Christ being the bread of life. We considered John 6, 22 to 40 last week, and we thought about a number of things together, how in the early part of John chapter 6, Jesus had fed a congregation of Israelites with bread. He did that miraculously with bread from heaven. And then immediately after that, he miraculously crossed the Sea of Galilee without getting into a boat. He walked across it. And so we thought about how those events scream and point us to the events of the Exodus in the Old Testament, where God saved his people, miraculously delivering them from Egypt through the Red Sea, and then provided bread for them in the wilderness in the form of manna from heaven. We thought about how Jesus taught his audience that as significant as the manna was, that he is the true bread that has come from heaven to give life to the world. He exhorted his hearers to not labor for food that perishes, but to labor for food that endures to eternal life. And he says that they would do that by believing in him. With respect to salvation, Jesus was clear in the first part of John chapter 6 that people come to him because God the Father has made that happen. He's clear that whoever comes to him will never be cast out. No one ever comes to Jesus in faith and has the door shut in their face. Christ never turns anyone away. Christ tells us that whoever comes to him will never be lost. If we come to Christ in faith, we will be finally saved because he will see to that. He tells us that it is the will of his Father that he would lose none of the people that come to him, that have been given to him by the Father. And he tells us also that it is the will of God that everyone who looks upon him and believes in him would have eternal life. So that's 
John 6, 22 to 40. We're going to be looking today at verses 41 to 71 of John chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up to that passage of Scripture. If you don't have a hard copy of the Scripture in front of you, you could open up a Bible app on your phone and follow along in the text with us that way. If you're newer here to CBC, we typically do preaching this way, where we open the Bible to a section of Scripture and look at it together and try to understand what it's saying, what it means, and what we should be learning, what we should be believing, what we should be doing in light of the text. So listen now as I read John 6, verses 41 to 71. This is the word of God. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. 
he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. I have three points for our consideration today as we make our way through this passage, and then some just additional brief reflections to close our time together. We'll begin with point number one. We have eternal life by faith in Christ. Point one, we have eternal life by faith in Christ. We're going to look at verses 41 to 51 together for just a moment. In verse 41, if you put your eyes there, we see that the Jews are grumbling among themselves about Jesus because of what he said about being the bread of life that's come down from heaven. It's the coming down from heaven piece that's getting them. That becomes clear in the next verse. Look at verse 42. They say, isn't this Jesus? This guy who's saying he's the bread of heaven, or bread of life that's come down from heaven. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? I mean, we know his mom and dad. And now he's saying he's come from heaven. So Jesus responds, beginning in verse 43. He answers to them. He says, don't grumble. Don't bicker. Don't argue. Don't grumble among yourselves. And then he's going to explain why. Beginning in verse 44. He says there that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Don't argue among yourselves about the things that I'm saying. No one will come to me in the first place unless the Father makes that happen. And anyone that the Father draws to me, I will raise up on the last day. I will save forever. He goes on in verse 45. He cites the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 54 and verse 13 to be specific. He says, as it is written in the prophets, quote, and they will all be taught by God. Close quote. Isaiah 54, that section of Isaiah's writings that he is quoting, is about God's covenant of grace. God has promised to teach everyone who is a part of the covenant of grace. Jesus goes on in the second part of verse 45. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Everyone. No, it's not that they've seen the Father. It's not that they've had some crazy, supernatural kind of experience where they have visibly seen God. It's nothing like that. He says that in verse 46. Rather, it is that these people have heard from the Father. It is that these people have learned from Him. To hear from the Father and to learn from the Father is just as supernatural as it would be to see Him. How would a person hear and learn from the Father. It would happen, we understand, through the Father's Word that He had revealed to His people. And it would happen by the power of the Father's Spirit. The message of the Father's Word, as we think about so often here at CBC, the message of the Scripture, it centers on His Son. It centers in particular on the redemption that His Son would come to accomplish. This is why Jesus can say that everyone who has heard and has learned from the Father comes to me. Because that's what the Father is doing. That's what the Father has revealed through his word. You're going to hear and learn from the Father. You come to me. To be taught of God, to be taught by my Father in heaven means you come to me in faith. So Jesus, in short, to sum up these last two verses, is looking at his audience who's having a hard time with the hard things that he's saying. And he says, don't grumble. 
No one can come to me unless my Father makes it so. And I will save those people. Just as the prophets wrote, everyone under God's covenant of grace will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard from my Father and has been taught by Him will come to me in faith. Then beginning in verse 47 to 51, he's going to reiterate things that he's already been saying. He's just driving the point home. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever trusts in me, whoever comes to me in faith has eternal life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. He's been saying that over and over and over. He's going to compare himself now to the manna that that the fathers, that the Israelites' fathers ate in the wilderness. Verse 49. Your fathers, they ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. The manna that God provided them was incredible, no doubt. But the people who ate it still died. However, I'm different. We thought together last week about how the ultimate point of even the manna that God provided in the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers, as we read about it there, the ultimate point of the manna from heaven was Christ, the bread who would come and sustain the lives of his people on their pilgrimage to heaven. Verse 50, Jesus, again, I am the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm greater than the manna was. First part of verse 51. Again, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. You understand this, and we're going to be thinking a lot more about this in the coming verses, that when Jesus talks about himself as bread, when he talks about eating the bread, or in a moment even eating his flesh, when he's going to talk about drinking his blood, he is speaking in metaphorical language, figurative language, feeding on him by faith. He is the sustenance of his people, just like bread would sustain our bodies. That's the point. The second part of verse 51, Jesus is going to shift things a little bit here. He begins to further explain how it is that people have eternal life in him, which brings us to point number two. So the first point is that we have eternal life by faith in Christ. Point two, we have eternal life through Christ's flesh and blood. We have eternal life through Christ's flesh and blood. We're going to look at verses 52 to 59 together for a moment. Verse 52, the Jews are continuing to argue and bicker and dispute amongst themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? What in the world does this mean? Jesus is going to respond to them, beginning in verse 53. Let's consider what he says. In verse 53, he says this, unless... You eat the flesh of the Son of Man. The Son of Man is Him. He's talking about Himself. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 55. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And then verses 56 and 57. These verses are very important for how we would understand these things. Feeding on Jesus' flesh by faith and drinking his blood by faith is about union with him. It's about abiding in him and him abiding in you. 
Jesus says in verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, dwells in me, rests in me. And I in turn abide in him. Verse 57, as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. You see, brothers and sisters, it is through our union to Christ by faith that we have eternal life. There is no eternal life apart from union with Christ. He is the life giver. And as we'll think about more in just a moment, our eternal life is in Christ, in Christ alone. It is His life that He gives to us. Now, let's explain some of this. Let's unpack some of this for for ourselves here. In all of this talk about His flesh and His blood, Jesus certainly has the Lord's Supper in view. Communion, the Lord's table that He instituted the last night that He was on earth, it's certainly in view. But I would say that He is pointing even more importantly to what the Lord's Supper is all about. It's clear in his argument that to feed on his flesh and to drink his blood cannot be separated from faith in him. It's one and the same. He says in verse 54, to feed on my flesh and drink my blood ends up in eternal life and resurrection. Well, he says the same thing in verse 40 about faith. Believe in me and you will have eternal life and you will be resurrected unto it. He says the same thing in verse 44 and 45. Come to me in faith and you will have eternal life and you will be resurrected unto it. So when it comes to even the Lord's Supper, which we will partake of again this morning as we always do, what is it that we're doing? We are remembering, proclaiming, trusting what Christ did for us. We are looking back on His sacrifice that He made. We're looking back on His perfect life lived for us. It's 1 Corinthians 11, 23, 24, 25. We are also proclaiming and trusting when we take the supper that Jesus is coming back for us. We proclaim His death until He comes. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. And we are also, when we partake of the supper, we are participating in the body of Christ. And we are participating in the blood of Christ, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. So this is massively significant. That language of participating in Christ's body, participating in Christ's blood, in light of our text today. Taking the Lord's Supper in faith is to participate in the body and blood of Christ. It is about, the supper is, it is about our union with Jesus. It's about our union with His body that was broken for us. It's about our union with Him and His blood that was poured out for us in order to accomplish the new covenant, namely our salvation. The Lord's Supper is about receiving the merits of Jesus, about receiving the satisfaction that He has made for our sins, about receiving the righteousness that He has accomplished all through faith. You see, the message of the Scripture in one sense is very simple, friends. That it is through 
faith that we are united to Christ, and it is through our union with Christ that we have eternal life. We are in Him by faith. We are no longer in Adam. Jesus, as we are united to Him, Jesus has taken our sin, our guilt, and our shame upon Himself and has satisfied completely for it. We have a lot of sin and a lot of guilt and a lot of shame, and Christ has dealt with and covered it all. Through our union with Christ, we in turn get His righteousness and holiness. His life of perfect fulfillment of God's law is counted to us as though we really did it. All of God's righteous requirements are met in Christ and are credited to our account by faith. Everything through our union with Christ, everything that is His is ours. And we have life forever. And Jesus is our life. Jesus is going to reiterate that in verse 58. The fact that He Himself is the eternal life of His people. You can look at that verse with me. This is the bread, He says, that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Whoever feeds on me, whoever is sustained by me, whoever abides in me, will live forever. We're going to conclude our service today by singing a song called All I Have is Christ. And the refrain of that song is, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. We get that kind of theology from verses like we're considering today. Point number three. Point number three. Not only do we have eternal life by faith in Christ, not only do we have eternal life through Christ's body and blood, number three, we have come to know that Jesus has the words of eternal life. We have come to know that Jesus has the words of eternal life. Let's look at verse 60 together. The disciples, which is a larger group that would have been bigger than the twelve. They say to Jesus in verse 60, in the aftermath of all of this, this is a hard saying. Jesus, what you're saying is, it's hard to hear, man. Who can, who can listen to this? Jesus responds, beginning in verse 61. He knows what's in the minds and hearts of men, right? He knows what's going on in the minds and hearts of the disciples sitting with him. He knows that they're grumbling. We're told that in the text. So he asks them, do you take offense at this? Are you offended by, by what I've said? And then in verse 62, he ups the ante. He turns up the temperature. Well, if you're offended by what I've said already, what if you were to see me ascending to heaven? What if you were to see me ascending to heaven where I came from? What then? Then this in verses 63 to 65. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Friends, when it comes to eternal life, the flesh, that certainly means everything associated with our fallen nature, which would include our willing, our working, our doing, our effort, The flesh is of no help. 
is only God's Spirit who gives life. It is the Spirit who gives this life by way of faith in Christ. Jesus continues in verse 64. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Skip the parenthesis. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Jesus is like, look, guys. The words I've spoken to you are true. They are of the Spirit. They are life-giving. The problem isn't with what I've said. The problem is that there are some of you who don't believe what I've said. John tells us in those parentheses that Jesus knew who those were who didn't believe, and he knew about Judas who would betray him, and he knew about that from the beginning. And Jesus sums all of that up saying, this is why I said that no one will come to me unless the Father grants it. After all of this in verse 66, many of the disciples leave Jesus. They bounce. Again, no surprise to Christ, but still people are leaving. So then Jesus looks at the 12 in verse 67. As I try to imagine this scene, this is intense. A number of people are departing. Jesus, you're saying hard stuff, man. Who can listen to this? We're out of here. And Christ, God the Son incarnate, who's become a man, looks around at the twelve and says, do you want to leave too? Do you want to go too? And then Peter's response in verses 68 and 69 is so good. Lord, to whom shall we go? You ask us, do we want to go away as well? Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's kind of like, in one sense, I mean, as I read the text, you have it in front of you and you can assess this for yourself. An intense scene, people are leaving Jesus. He looks at the 12, do you want to go away too? And Peter kind of looks at him and it's like, Lord, we're here. Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We're, we're with you. We don't know everything. Yeah, this is hard. This is confusing at points, but it's ride or die. We're with you. And then Jesus in verse 70 and 71 just makes it quite clear that he knows his own and he knows about Judas, the one who would betray him. So friends, as we conclude together and reflect a little bit, Jesus says some hard things. In terms of his earthly ministry, he says some hard stuff. He has in this passage. And there is tremendous comfort in the things that Jesus says. In a general sense and in this text today. So saints, brothers and sisters, you sit here today believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. You sit here today trusting in Him. You sit here today hearing Him say hard things about being the bread of life that has come down from heaven. You listen to Him say hard things about what everyone needs is to feed on Him and to be united to Him and that only in Him can eternal life be found. 
you listen to him say hard things. Like the fact that nobody's going to come to me in faith unless the Father has done that. You listen to him say hard things that you and your flesh are of no avail. Like you will do nothing on your own. It is the Holy Spirit who gives life. You hear him say those hard things and you believe him. You believe him. You don't think like, nah, bro, that's crazy. You think, yes, he's right. I don't know everything, but I know that I need Jesus. I know that I need his life. I know that I need his death. I know that I need his merit and his righteousness. And my question for you, regardless of whether you've been trusting Christ for a day or 50 years, my question to you is, brother or sister, how do you think you came to believe the Lord Jesus and take him at his word? According to Christ, you came to believe in him because it was granted to you by God the Father. And thinking about John chapter 3, which we looked at weeks ago, you came to trust in Christ because God's Spirit gave you life in the new birth, resulting in faith. You sit here today, I stand here today, trusting Christ because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been planning and working for our salvation since before the world began. To blow your mind. Who are man that you... Who is man that you are mindful of him? We are so small, and yet you have been planning and working for our redemption since before the world got started. Holy smokes. And the incredible news is that now that you are in Christ by faith, you will be finally and ultimately saved. Eternal life is already yours, and you will be resurrected unto it. Christ has promised that to you. Not only is there great comfort found in the things that Jesus says and the fact that our salvation is rock solid because it has its roots in God, not in something as fragile as our will, not in something as fragile as our mental capacity or in our affections or something like that. There is also great comfort to be found in what Peter says to Jesus in verses 68 and 69. Where Jesus looks at the 12 and he says, do you want to leave too? And Peter says, Lord, where would we go? We got nowhere else to go. Perhaps you felt like that in your life. Perhaps you have felt like Peter in the other 10 where you found yourself in a hard situation. You found yourself in a crisis of faith. You found yourself at a crossroads in your own mind and in your own heart. And you thought, man, I would walk away from this if I could, but I can't. I would straight up punt the faith, but I can't walk away from Christ. Maybe you've been there. For you, there's something about Jesus that you can't walk away from. Many times, people are incredibly discouraged that they ever get to such a place. And that is entirely right and understandable. We don't ever want to be in a place like that. Where we're thinking deep down in our hearts, like, man, I would be done with this if I could leave it, but I can't leave Christ. We don't ever want to be there. And at the same time, if you have felt that or thought that, or maybe you think it and feel it as you sit here today, 
I would encourage you to look to the obvious grace of God in that kind of wrestling. Look to the grace of God, especially in the conclusion that you can't walk away from Christ. Why do you think that is? If you've ever had that thought, why is that? There's something about Jesus I can't leave. That is all of God's grace in keeping a rebel like you or me. Christ has you. To know that Christ is legit to the point that you can't walk away from Him is not something that you have brought about for yourself. To know that Christ is legit to the point that you can't leave Him is something that only God can do for us. God knows His own. And He keeps His own. That's the kind of God He is. This is how, friends, we can have any assurance of salvation. is because we believe that it is God who saves sinners. And that He does it all. It's not that He does 98% and then we contribute a little bit. Our understanding at this church is that if that were the case, we would all be going straight to hell. But we trust in the God who through His Son justifies ungodly people. We trust in the God who through His Son saves doubters and strugglers and wrestlers. We trust in a Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who lays people like us on His shoulder with all of our doubts, with all of our sin, with all of our wrestlings, and He brings us safely home. We trust a Savior who sympathizes with us in our weakness. He knows our frame. We trust a Savior who in His own words says He is gentle and lowly in heart. We trust a Savior who in the words of the prophet Isaiah will not break a bruised reed or put out a smoldering wick. And so as one bruised reed speaking to many other bruised reeds, take heart. Jesus, your Savior, is utterly faithful. He is patient and He is merciful. And He is mighty to save. He is able to save to the uttermost everyone who draws near to God through Him. Praise be to His name. Let's pray. Father, we don't take it for granted that we can call You Father that through your Son you have adopted us into your family, that we are no longer under a spirit of fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption. You love us, you know us fully, and you have provided for every need that we have through your Son. We thank you. We pray for us that you would continue to use your word and the table that we're about to come to, the songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray. Continue to use those things in this gathering to strengthen our faith and confirm our faith in Christ. Sustain us in your Son. He is the bread of life. We pray for those seated here with us today who might not yet trust Christ, that you would use these means to impart faith. Father, we confess that we are sinners. We don't want to sin, yet we do. 
So we pray for your grace, that you would keep working in us to change us, that you would keep working in us that we might not sin. We pray for your grace in all of these things, and we ask for them in Jesus' name. Amen.